We are continuing on today in Romans chapter 5, out of the sermon series, The Gospel of God. We're in Romans chapter 5, starting in verse 12 and reading through verse 21. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift of the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. The free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift, following many trespasses, brought justification. For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through the righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. As we said last week, we are going to plant in this text for a while, so uh, bear with me as we walk slowly through, I think, what most would say is probably one of the most difficult passages in Romans to get your head fully around. And so it's important, I think, for us to be somewhat repetitive in many ways. Some of the things I'll say this morning, I said last week, but we need to get them clearly fixed I think, in our minds to see exactly what Paul is driving at in this text. And what we did last week is kind of just took an aerial view of it, a kind of a a fast flyover, if you will, looking down upon the text. Um, And we talked about the the verse in uh, verse 14, the end of that verse, where it says that Adam was a type of the one who was to come. And we spent time making that comparison because that's really what this text is about. Paul is making a comparison between the first Adam and the second Adam, who is Christ. We talked about in the book of Corinthians, it it likens Christ to the second Adam. And so what this text is doing is, is giving a kind of parallelism view showing one thing and then another, one thing and another, and, and drawing conclusions from that. And uh, so we want to take time to make sure that you see that, understand that. Last week, if you weren't here, or even if you were, a couple of parallels that we talked about was we talked about Adam being the father of all humanity, uh, the human father of all humanity. All of us take our ancestry back to Adam. We all come from Adam, ultimately, and, and then Christ is the father of a new humanity. That's really what the picture is. Adam, father of all, all human humanity, 
And then Christ becomes, for those who have faith in him, the father of a new humanity. So there's that parallel that's in the text. And then the second parallel is that the human race has one fundamental problem that stems from its connection to Adam. The fundamental problem of sin is because of our connection to Adam. And the fundamental remedy of that problem is for those who then have a connection to Christ. And what we want to show you is it is the same kind of connection. Um, that The connection with Adam is paralleled by a connection with Christ and you are connected in the very same way to both of those things if you have faith in Christ. Uh, and we, we, we are laboring to show that. That's really the heart of this text. Paul is laboring to show that connection and make sure that you get that connection clear in your mind. It's not just a kind of sweeping connection of it in general, but a specific, there's a specific connection that we have. And if you don't see the specificity of that connection, you very well may get the gospel wrong and you may struggle. I don't, would de-Christianize people who get it wrong, but it, it makes life a bit of a struggle. In fact, even what I alluded to about the Psalms this morning, and that word righteous can have all kinds of ramifications if you get that connection wrong and misunderstand that connection of those two things. And the word we used last week, which we've used a lot in our series as we've walked through Romans, it's taught here, but here Paul specifically makes the contrast of it is the, is the word imputation. And imputation is that word that means something from another is imputed to us um, by their action. And in Adam, we, we talked about it in Christ and how that imputation happens, that, that the act of another being credited to us. And specifically what we took time last week doing was talking about the imputation of Adam's sin to all mankind. Word original sin, imputation of sin, those two ideas we talked about extensively. And what I said last week is we're getting the overview of that. And then we're going to come now this morning to the specifics of how this text um, teaches that. But before we go there, let me, this is where I want to review a bit. I want to go back and make sure you understand this part of it, the, the, the idea of what this text is saying, and, and then we'll go to the argument that Paul gives. But first, what it's saying, and in the overview, what it's saying is that when Adam sinned, when Adam sinned, you sinned. You sinned in Adam. In other words, you are not, in, in this text, he's not saying that it's your specific sins that you've committed in your life, which we have, that are the problem here in this text, but it's, it's the fact that you sinned in Adam, and that sin of Adam was imputed to you. That's the fundamental problem we have. Now, other things come out of that, like our own sin, but what the text is saying is it is not that sinning that caused you to die will cause you to die. But it is the sin of Adam and your sin in him that will cause death. That's what it means in the text when it says things like death reigned. You'll hear that in this text. Death reigned. Why did death reign? 
It reigned not because of your individual sins, but because of the sin of Adam and that you sinned in him when he sinned. And we we talked about a couple of uh, views of that um, in church history. One is the view that we call the uh, realistic view. It really was the view that Augustine, early church father, had, um, and he tied it back to Scripture. But the idea that in Adam was the whole of human nature, and, and it goes back again to being the fact that, that uh, we come out of the seed of Adam, ultimately, all of us take our lineage back to Adam. And so when he acted as the father of all, that all we all sinned and acted with him. In other words, when, when Adam acted, we acted with him. And the, and the support for that text comes out of Hebrews chapter 7. We don't want to say more than the text says, and they didn't, but... That's the story, if you remember last week, about Abraham giving um, offering, giving tithes to Melchizedek. And then uh, at the end of chapter 7, there's an interesting verse that says this. One might say Levi, and Levi was the great-grandson of um, Abraham. So the text goes on and says, one might say Levi, the great-grandson of Abraham, Paid tithes. Now, Levi was of the, tr- of the tribe of the priests. That's where the priests came out of, of the 12 tribes, the tri- tribe of Levi, that they were the priests. So that's why I think it uses Levi here. But it says, one might say Levi, great-grandson of Abraham, paid tithes through Abraham, for he was still in the loins of his ancestor, and his ancestor was Abraham. Now, how did... How did Abraham, paying tithes to Melchizedek, lots of years earlier, because he was the great-grandfather of Levi, why then, because he did it, does the text say Levi also did it? And, And the inference is, the connection is, because he was in the loins of Abraham. In other words, when Abraham did it, he was in the seed of Abraham ultimately, and so he did it. He gave those <clears throat> ties back there along with Abraham in that sense. That's the support that's given then to this view that the same thing about Adam, that Adam sinned, and because we were in Adam, we were in the loins of Adam, if you will, we sinned in Adam. Now, this is what D. Martin Lloyd-Jones, I don't think I used this quote last week, but let me, let me summarize it this way. This is how he summarizes it. As it is true to say that Levi was already in the loins of his father Abraham when Abraham paid tithe to Melchizedek. In exactly the same way, it is true to say that the whole of humanity was in the loins of Adam when Adam sinned and transgressed, and so came under the condemnation of the law and its penalty. Thus death came upon Adam and also therefore upon all who have come out of his loins, namely the whole of mankind. That's that view. Not everyone holds that view. It was the view of Augustine. But the, the view that is more prevalent is this one. And that's the view calling Adam. Um, theologians would say he was the federal head of the human race. He was, um, he was deemed by God the head. And therefore, when he acted, all men acted in him and with him. And we made the statement that had Adam, according to this, had Adam obeyed, 
had he not sinned in the garden, he would have been confirmed in righteousness and the whole human race would have been confirmed in righteousness. But we know, in fact, he didn't obey, he sinned. And therefore, the whole human race sinned in him and was confirmed in unrighteousness. That's the federal head view of, of, uh, of those who would look at this text and look at texts like this. Now, the question we said, there's something that rises up in us, particularly in the West, in our individualistic um, society that says, okay, I hear that, but I'll be my own representative, thank you. I'll be my own. I don't need somebody else to represent me. I'll do it. Why does God pick somebody else to do it? Well, God works in covenants. That would see some of the argument. We don't get into all of that. But, but the other more, more important argument is this, and R.C. Sproul would say it well. He would say, God chose, and God always chooses the best. He knows all things and chooses the best, and so chose the best representative. We may think we'd have been better to represent ourselves, but be careful. And that's how we ended last week. Be careful. You, you can go down that road, but if you do, there's a danger at the end of that road because in many ways, God is gracious in this. And his graciousness is in this is when we begin to see the other side of this coin, if you will. Because the very thing that we say happened because Adam sinned and his sin is imputed to us is the other side of the coin when we've talked about for weeks now that Christ accomplished a righteousness outside of us, a perfect righteousness that he isn't willing and does give to all who have faith in him. He imputes that to our account. So if you want to throw out imputation, be careful. Because at the other end of it is our hope. And ultimately what we said last week is if we throw that all out, we throw out the gospel, we throw out Romans. Because that's what Paul taught here in the book of Romans. And it's a gracious, in that sense, as you look at it, in that way, you see the graciousness of God. If, if he had just left it to us and we'd have failed, it would have been over. But he didn't. Yes, it's bad news that we all sinned in Adam. But it was the best representative God chose him to be. But the glory of it is the other side, that we also can have the hope of the gospel because that too comes by imputation. So now, that's, that's what we talked about. That's what we said. But it's one thing to say it. Is that really what Paul said? So let's look at the text now. Now I want you to look at the text. We're going to get a little more specific. Dig into it a little, little farther. I want you to look at two verses. Look first of all at verse 12 of the text. And then in a minute, I'm going to ask you to jump down to verse 18. So find verse 18 so you can don't, don't get lost as I skip down there, okay? Verse 12 says this. Therefore... Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, sin of Adam imputed to us, just as 
Sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men. And then you go down to verse 18. And uh, you read these words in the middle of that. You see the so there in your text? If This is the um, ESV. There's a word so in the middle of that. So here, let's read it all together. We're going to jump to that word so. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. What most commentators would say in this text, and what it certainly appears, is that Paul made a statement in verse 12 and could have easily finished it in verse 18 with what I read. It's one kind of thought and flow, but, but caught himself. In other words, as he came to the end of verse 12, he caught himself. And you, if you've done that, if you're a teacher, you understand that. It happens to, to, to us who preach. You're, you're teaching something, then you think, oh, but there's a, somebody out there has an objection. They don't raise it. You just think, oh, they probably have this objection. So that's what I think happened here. That's what they say. Paul started to say the first half of imputation, but then began to think of the objections that might be there. And so he took a couple of detours here. He takes two different detours, two parentheses, if you will, in the middle of this. And what we're going to look at this morning is the first parentheses that Paul puts in the middle of this, which I think supports this idea of of the imputation of sin from Adam and righteousness from Christ. But what he really is supporting here, what he really begins to detour is he wants to make sure that we, the people who are listening do not think about their individual sins. That's what he is, he, he is caught with. Um, he's not, he doesn't want them to think that what happened here, just as sin came into the world through one man, death through sin, that that, that death came because of individual sins. Because look at what he says as he goes on in verse 13. This is where the parentheses, see that's what that, see that line there? You have a line after the end of verse 12 and then it goes to 13. That's that idea of a parentheses. And it says this, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given. But sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam. Last week, we we centered on the last part of that verse, the type of the one to come. But this week, I want to center right there in those words. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam. What he is saying there is he's not talking about individual sins. He's talking about another way in which we sinned and the way in which he is trying to drive home to us as we sinned in Adam when Adam sinned. Does that make sense? In other words, we're not, he's not talking about that death reigning because of our own individual sins that flowed from that, but the ultimate problem is that we sinned in Adam when Adam sinned. And so the trespasses that we have were not like the trespass of Adam. That, that happened once in all history there in that sense. Now, here's the argument that he uses 
Here's where he breaks off in verse 13. He says, first of all, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. What's that mean? Sin is not counted where there is no law. What he's talking about is that um, sin was in the world, but it, it wasn't counted. In other words, the, the sin that he's talking about here was not that sin because there was no law given. People still sin, but there was no command that they were breaking because the law had not been given. Now, um, that's, that's the argument. When the law came, obviously then sin was known and people sinned and they broke commandment. For Adam, he sinned by breaking a specific command. God said, do not do this. And Adam broke that command and sinned. But people after that, from Adam to Moses, sinned, but not by breaking a specific command. It's important to get that point. It's important to see what he's saying there. It's a different kind of sin that I'm talking about here. Not not those sins. A different kind of sin. And then he goes on even a little farther as he supports this whole thing. He, he says in the text, yet death reigned from Adam to Moses in verse 14, even over those whose sinning was not like the truth. Death reigned. It's almost as he's thinking about something else in the text. Death reigned. It reigned even over those who didn't break a specific command. But then people would say the argument again. Well, Romans says it's written on our hearts. There doesn't have to be a specific command. So he didn't say they didn't sin. Didn't sin in the same way as Adam did. But, but there are some who, who don't break a specific command or don't know sin, don't know the reality of sin, don't, don't know it inwardly, aren't there? Most commentators, again, think that here Paul is thinking about infants. Infants who, who die. They, they die. Why do they die? Why do they die? Because they committed sin? Because they broke some known law? No, they don't know a law to break. So death reigned. Death reigned over all men. Paul's making that argument. Death reigned not because of their specific sins, but because they sinned in Adam. The reign of death is because of our connection to Adam. All die. Judgment comes to all mankind. And the judgment is death. Now, here's here's the point. Here's the why this is important. Why is it important? Why was it, why was it that Paul started in verse 12 and then had a hiccup and felt like he needed to answer those questions? Because it is incredibly important that we see that what Paul is teaching is that all men sinned in Adam's sin. And that sin is what was imputed to them that then caused death to all men, causes all men to die. It's incredibly important that you see that. And Paul knew that. Because if you don't see it clearly, you're, you're going to struggle with the other side of imputation as well. 
the righteousness of Christ being imputed as well to us. Why do we need a deeper cause? Let me read the words of another. Let me read this. I hope you can follow through. We maybe should have even put it on the screen for you to read it, but try to stay with this. This, this argument comes from um, John Piper on this particular text. And I think as well as anybody, he summarizes what I read. What is the issue here? Why it is so important that Paul wanted to make sure that we realize that all men sinned in Adam and that sin is imputed to us. Listen to what he says. What's at stake here is the whole comparison between Christ and Adam. And remember, that's what this text is about, the comparison between Christ and Adam. The whole comparison is at stake. If we don't understand... We don't understand because all sinned, as because all sinned in Adam, the entire comparison between Christ and Adam will be distorted, and we won't see the greatness of justification by grace through faith for what it really is. And he goes on to say, let me try to illustrate what's at stake. Here's where you want to follow closely if you can. If you say, Piper says, if you say, through one man... Sin and death entered the world, and death spread to everybody because all sinned individually. Now, that's not what I've just said this passage teaches, but if you did say that, if you didn't catch that that's what he's saying, and so you say that death came because all men sinned individually, he goes on to say, then the comparison with the work of Jesus could be this. So also through one man... Jesus Christ, righteousness and life entered the world and life spread to all because all individually did acts of righteousness. You see what I mean by that? If if on one side we distort it and say that sin came to us because we all did acts of sin, then you could go over on the other side and begin to think that Christ died for us to enable us to individually do acts of righteousness. You you get that comparison. It doesn't connect together the way it ought to. And and so we get ourselves in trouble. Let Let me read it again. So also through one man, Jesus Christ, righteousness and life entered the world and life spread to all because all individually did acts of righteousness. In other words, justification would not be God's imputing Christ's righteousness to us, but are performing individual acts of righteousness with Christ's help, and then being counted righteous on that basis. In other words, we need Christ, but we need to act, add to what Christ has done by performing individuals' right, uh, acts of righteousness, and therefore God sees that and declares us justified, which is not the gospel, which is a distortion of the gospel. <clears throat> In other words, the basis, the basis of our sin is that we sinned in Adam. We sinned in Adam, not our individual sins. And the comparison is that Christ's righteousness comes by being imputed to us, not that he gives us something to allow us to do acts of righteousness. That's not the comparison. And, And if you don't get the first, you won't get the second. The parallel Paul wants us to see and rejoice in is that just as Adam's sin is imputed to us because we are in him, 
So Christ's righteousness is imputed to us because we are in him. Otherwise, otherwise, if, if, if the comparison is I'm sinful because of my individual acts of righteousness and I'm righteous because of Christ allowing me to do individual acts of righteousness, if, if that, it, it, it distorts it. And in essence, really, what it is, is is not the gospel. Because you come to the point, just like I said this morning in Psalm 34, you read the promises to the righteous, and you think, am I righteous enough? Have I done enough acts of righteousness so that this promise applies to me? The grounds of our justification gets distorted, it gets blurred, and it creates havoc in our lives. And so Paul wanted to clearly show us that sin is imputed to us as well as righteousness being imputed to us. Let's sum it up. I think the best way to sum it up is to look at verse 18. Look what it says. Paul, remember in verse 18, I read the second part of it, the comparison, but Paul kind of, as, as you would do the same thing, you make a statement, but you only say half the statement, so then you kind of paraphrase the statement a little bit and then give the other half. That's what he does here. He says, therefore, as one, tres- as one trespass led to condemnation for all men. Who's trespass? One trespass. One. Adam's trespass. As one trespass led to condemnation for all men. So, one act of righteousness. Whose one act of righteousness? Christ. Leads to justification and life for all men. Again, if you look at that and distort it, therefore, my sins led to my condemnation. If you take that and make that the first part of it, my sins led to my condemnation. So, one act of God that allows me to perform righteous acts leads to my justification. You see, it gets distorted. It's so succinct. Therefore, as one trespass, whose trespass? Adam's trespass that was imputed to us leads to condemnation. That's what does it. So one act of righteousness leads to justification in life for all men. That is the gospel. That is the gospel. That's the imputation that we talked about. Adam's sin imputed to us. Christ's righteousness that's attained by living perfectly, dying perfectly without sin. Accomplishing a righteousness. It's what it means in Romans when it says now there's a righteousness from God. Righteousness from God outside of us that God gives to us, imputes to us, credits to our account. So the question is this morning for us, where do you rest? Paul wants you to rest in the righteousness of Christ. Why? Because you don't have to ask the question, is it enough? Is it adequate? 
It's why Jesus declared it's finished. It's why Jesus sat down at the right hand of the Father because he didn't die to allow us to do acts of righteousness so that we could somehow accumulate enough of those acts of righteousness as we went along to be declared just by God. And that's exactly where it would lead us. And that's what Paul would see. That's what this text would lead us if we saw that our condemnation is because individual sins that we've committed. He wanted us clearly to see imputation on one side, imputation on the other, and see the gospel. Next week, we're going to move on to the second parenthesis. There's another parenthesis in there. And, and what he compares in those parentheses is that, yes, the, the first act did some difficult things that had to be remedied, but God's grace abounds in the remedy. In other words, it doesn't bring us back to neutral, but the grace of God and the imputation of his righteousness abounds with grace, and it's, it's so much more spectacular than we can even imagine, and that's what Paul goes on to talk about in that second parenthesis. We'll look at it. But this morning, we're going to close with a song that uh, says in it clearly what imputation is. In one part of this song, Cornerstone, it talks about, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness, on his blood, on his righteousness, that he provides for us. And, And then it says, dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before his throne. What righteousness are we dressed in? A righteousness where Christ helps us part of the way and we finish it? No. But a righteousness that comes from outside of us, that if you will, Christ lays over us a robe of righteousness. It's why the writer of the Hebrews says and could say we've been made perfect forever, even as we're being made perfect Oh, there's work underneath that robe that's happening in our hearts. But never is that the grounds of our justification. It's the fruit. And so this morning, I hope that as you sing this song, that that it causes you even more to rest in the righteousness of Christ. Let's stand together. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly trust in Jesus' name. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest rain, but wholly trust in Jesus' name. Christ alone Cornerstone, weak made strong in the Savior's love. Through the storm, He is Lord, Lord of all. 
darkness seems to hide his face. I rest on his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. Christ alone, cornerstone, weak made strong in the Savior's love through the storm. Lord, Lord of all. When he shall come with trumpet sound, oh, may I then in him be found, dressed in his righteousness alone. Faultless to stand before the throne, Christ alone, cornerstone, weak made strong in the Savior's love. Through the storm, He is Lord, Lord of all. alone, cornerstone, weak made strong in the Savior's love. Through the storm, He is Lord, Lord of Again, this week, we are so grateful that you've been here to worship with us. We're, again, going to dismiss row by row. It is raining outside, so if I know it's going to take you a little bit of time to gather up your things and to head out, but just please be cognizant of that as you head out the doors this morning that we don't create kind of a bottleneck at the doors. So if you're not able to leave right away, kind of spread out through the sanctuary to provide some distance. So you can have a seat, and we'll dismiss from the back to the front this morning.